Good morning to you again. Uh, We're going to turn our Bible study to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Just as I say that, um, if you're visiting with us today, I want to let you know, and if you're here and always are here, I want to remind you that uh, our mission here is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we believe that we are called to connect people and, and see lives transformed by the truth of the Word of God. And so when we come together on Sunday mornings, when we meet together on Wednesdays, uh, when we study together, we look at God's Word. And um, you don't want to hear my opinion <laughs> or what I think. I don't need to be teaching you based on my experiences. Uh, the Word of God is where the authority lies. And so we're going to look there today, and the message that it shares is by far the best. So we look to the word of God. So hopefully you're turning to Matthew 27, and uh, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, isn't he? Amen? That's what we're going to talk about today. And you know, the resurrection matters. It matters. Uh, someone might say, isn't the cross really what, what was needed? Does it really matter whether Jesus rose from the dead? And the answer is yes. We really needed the cross. And yes, the resurrection really matters. Jesus had to rise from the dead. Let me share with you some reasons, not all of them, but some reasons why the resurrection matters. Uh, Number one, the resurrection fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. The resurrection was prophesied long before. On Friday night together when we were here, we read from Isaiah 53. That was 700 to 750 years before Christ. So if there's no resurrection, the Old Testament is full of false prophecies. And we shouldn't listen to it. Number two, the resurrection fulfilled Jesus' own predictions. He said he was going to rise from the dead. Another way to put it, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God, and he's not our Savior. He would have to be either a liar or a lunatic if he didn't rise from the dead. Number three, the resurrection confirmed Jesus' deity. Romans 1.4 says that declared Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection. So it confirms his deity. Number four, the resurrection confirmed Jesus' innocence, his righteousness. Think about this. If Jesus had died a sinner because of his own sin, his sacrifice would have been worthless. And he would have just stayed dead. Instead, though, his resurrection, through his resurrection, we can know that the Father accepted his sacrifice. Number five, this means that the resurrection proves that we can be saved and have been saved if we've repented and put all our faith and trust in Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. And six, the resurrection allows for the promises of God. Think of the offspring of Abraham, uh, the king, the promise of the king from David's line who would rule and reign forever. It allows those promises to be Fulfilled. All of God's promises find their fulfillment in 
and through the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The resurrection matters. It matters. Church, you have an all-sufficient Savior. Church, you have a head, a leader to follow who intercedes for you on your behalf. And church, you have a king. You have a king who is coming again, and his name is Jesus. And he did rise from the dead. The evidence is irrefutable. Where was the body? Where did it go? Why did the disciples, who, remember, ran away, they hid themselves. They were going back to fishing for a career. Why did those disciples all of a sudden turn into bold preachers who defied their authority, defied religious leaders, and endured persecution even to the death? What happened to those guys? Why that change? What did they see? What did they know? And how do we account for the 14 separate occasions listed in Scripture where Jesus physically arrived and spent time with different people at different times in different places where he walked and talked, physically contacted, and even ate with them, with people, after his resurrection? And at one time before a crowd of 500 people in one place at one time. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, go talk to them. Most of them are still alive. Go see if that happened. You wouldn't say that if 500 people would say, "Uh, no, that didn't happen. 500 people. And 500 people do not have the same hallucination at the same time. That doesn't happen. Jesus rose from the dead. There's no question here. Uh, There's more historical evidence for the resurrection than there is for many things that we find in history books and that nobody questions. The question shouldn't be, did Jesus really rise from the dead? The real question is, what are you going to do with that truth? The truth of his resurrection. Now, as we look into God's word today, starting at Matthew 27, verse 45, we're going to see how different people responded to the irrefutable truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then, of course, we have to ask ourselves, how will we, how will we respond? So, let's start our time in the Word today looking at the evidences of who Jesus is, all the way back to his death on the cross. This is uh, Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land, until the ninth hour. Uh, Those times there would be noon to three. So there's darkness over all the land from noon to three. That's strange. And about the ninth hour, so three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, as Christ took our sin on himself, he endured the wrath, the judgment of God, and the separation from God that must come when there is sin, because he had taken our sin on himself. Verse 47 says, some of the bystanders, those who were watching, hearing it said, the man's calling Elijah. They didn't understand. 
And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed to reach up there and and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Remember, Elijah left in that chariot of fire, right? Maybe he's going to swoop down and snatch Jesus up off the cross and go back to heaven with him. But Elijah never came. Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That means he died. And voluntarily so. As is the case when we all die, the immaterial, the part of us who we really are, separated from the material. And so now all that's left hanging there on that cross was a dead body. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, after Christ's resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, and remember this, keeping watch over Jesus... When they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. Wouldn't we all be? And said, truly, this was the Son of God. And there were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and uh, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. It's James and John. So, think about this. As Jesus died, and then as the weekend unfolded, so we got a little bit of a time shift here. We have gone beyond the resurrection in the midst of the story where his resurrection is to come, right? As this weekend unfolded, including his his resurrection, these other things also happened. That's what this paragraph contained. Number one, there was no sunshine from noon to three in the afternoon. And after Christ's death... The sunlight came back. Uh, By the way, if you're wondering, solar eclipses last no longer than about seven and a half minutes. So no, this was not a coincidence. Also, when Christ died, the curtain at the temple, which kept people out of the Holy of Holies, away from the manifestation of the presence of the holiness of God, was torn in two from top to bottom. And you don't just jump on a ladder and do that. It wasn't possible. Because, why? Because the Holy of Holies and the blood sacrifice sprinkled on the altar was no longer necessary. One time a year, the high priest would go beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies. They actually tied a rope around his ankle because if he hadn't done right and made everything right between him and God, he was going to drop dead in that room and they would have to pull him out. That curtain torn, that dividing wall, that division, gone. Why? Because Christ's death, his shed blood, paid for sin once and for all. We don't need that anymore. Number three, there was an earthquake that shook Jerusalem, splitting rocks, busting open graves. And four, after Jesus rose from the dead, other people did too. We don't think about that a whole lot when we think about the resurrection, do we? 
Other people did too. People who had believed in the promise of the coming Messiah rose from the dead the same day and appeared to people in the city of Jerusalem. So you might have gone to somebody in Jerusalem that day and gone, Jesus' body isn't in his grave. Oh, really? Neither is Zebediah or Obadiah. We saw them. We saw them too. What's going on? That could have been happening that day in Jerusalem. (laughs) And this is a foreshadowing, isn't it? The people got a little preview of what's to come when we too, the rest of all the saints, will be raised up and receive our resurrection bodies. Seeing all of this, all of these things led even the Romans who were watching over the body of Jesus to rightly declare this is the Son of God. And if Jesus really is the Son of God, and he is, his death, burial, and resurrection demands a response. What are you going to do with Jesus? Was he a prophet or a false prophet? Was he a good teacher or a bad one, a false teacher? Is he your Lord and Savior, or have you rejected him? Jesus Christ is the risen Savior and the Son of God. Is he your Lord? And this is the question of the day. That's the question of the day today. And we're going to see how different people responded to this question, this passage, and how they deal with the facts as we continue to read through today. So verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. We sang about him this morning. Who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, this is not Jesus' mother, they were there sitting opposite, like across the path from the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, The chief priests, these are the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees, they gathered before Pilate, they had to talk to him again, and said, Sir, we remember how that, what is the word there? Imposter. We remember how that imposter, and they're referring to Jesus, how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell people he has risen from the dead. And they say, the last fraud will be worse than the first. Did you hear that? Did you see that? They knew that Jesus had promised his own resurrection. But what have the Pharisees already decided about Jesus? They have already decided that he is an imposter and a fraud. It's settled in their mind. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone so it couldn't just be rolled away and setting a guard. Chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, this is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary 
went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, either the same earthquake we heard about before or a separate one, maybe an aftershock or something. For, this was the cause of the earthquake, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and then sat on it. By the way, Jesus is already gone. Jesus didn't come out and go, ha as soon as the stone rolled away. He was already absent. All right? Verse 3, his appearance, this angel, was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the angel, the guards trembled. This means what? They saw what happened. And they are trembling. In their trembling, they became like dead men. They passed out. Thud. But the angel said to the women, who evidently did not pass out, like they expected something, right? The angel said, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. What does it say? He is not here, for he has risen. And this is my favorite part. As he said. Amen? Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. He's like, I've done my job. Yeah, I've told you about it. Now go. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Why would they have great joy? Why did they obey and go straight to the disciples? Because they believe. They believe. Verse 9 says, Behold, Jesus met them on their way to the disciples, presumably, and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet. And what did they do? They worshipped him. Jesus deserves worship. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. This is going to be a carbon copy nearly of the angel's command. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. That's the difference. Angel said disciples. Jesus calls them his brothers. Joint heirs with Christ? Yes. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So Jesus reiterates the needlessness of fear. Why? Because the victory is won. This is exactly what was supposed to happen. And you ladies, you Marys, can have every bit of confidence and excitement Go tell the disciples. And it's incredibly significant here that women were the ones who were first told that Jesus rose from the dead. And that these women were enlisted by the angel and by Jesus himself to go tell the disciples. I don't know if you know it or not, but nothing has liberated women more in this world than Christianity. (laughs) And think about that how you will. But it's true. Now, why did this happen? Why is this significance? Well, because at that time, in any legal setting, the testimony of a woman meant nothing. Women were viewed as impressionable, gullible, weak-minded, could not be trusted, and so therefore they weren't. Now, if, think about this now, if the disciples had wanted to pull off some sort of giant hoax, 
some sort of like, now you see him, now you don't kind of a trick in order to lie about Jesus' resurrection, what gender would they have chosen to have been the one who discovered his absence? Men. Men. But that would have been a lie. That would have been a lie. Men weren't the first to see Jesus. These women were. The disciples weren't trying to prove anything. There was no fabricated story to tell. They were just telling the truth. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, these are the Romans, and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Remember, this guard who saw the angel and the stone rolling away and passed out from terror, that guard who saw the darkness in the afternoon during the crucifixion and the earthquakes and the resurrections and then declared their belief that this was the Son of God, that guard... Verse 12 says, when they had assembled with the elders, this is the Jewish leaders, and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, your boss, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So what did they do? They took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Uh, first of all, more confirmation right there that the soldiers saw what had happened. They went to the Jews first and reported it to them. Second, how are you supposed to see what's happening when you're asleep? That's a hard sell. Uh, there was no good explanation for what had happened that day other than that Jesus rose from the dead. And because there was no good explanation, they had to come up with the least bad explanation they could think of. And that was it. Third, the Jewish leaders bought their own lie. And I, I mean that in two ways. Number one, they wanted to believe the lie. Therefore, they did. We do what we do because we want what we want. And they literally paid for it. They bought their lie. They paid the guards off, and they promised to pay off their superiors as well if necessary. And that would have been no small fee. No small fee. If these men had truly fallen asleep and failed to fulfill their responsibility, their penalty would have been severe, perhaps death. This surely would have been no small sum of money paid to require this kind of action, to pay for this kind of scheme. So now, what we want to do is look at these three different responses to the re resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the response of the Jewish leaders, the response of the Roman soldiers, and the response of the Marys, these women, who first saw Jesus after his resurrection. Number one, the Jewish leaders. What did they know? Going into all of this, what did they know? Well, they knew that Jesus performed miracles. They didn't deny that. They knew that Jesus taught with authority, as if he himself were speaking the word of God. They knew that Jesus, they knew that Jesus rebuked them harshly and called them hypocrites and sons of Satan. They knew that and didn't like it. 
They knew that Jesus called himself the Son of God, making himself equal with God. And that word son of, uh, that carries the idea that I carry the same nature as my father. So the, the term son of God or the phrase son of God means I am divinity. They knew that Jesus had called himself that, which was ultimately their official reason for calling for his execution. The Jews took him to Rome and wanted him dead because he made himself equal with God. And they called that blasphemy. The excuse of the Romans that they tried to convince them of was treason because this man, Jesus, called himself king of the Jews. And if you allow him to live, Pilate, you're attacking Caesar. You're committing treason. That was, that was the pressure they put on Pilate. So Jesus was officially killed, executed for being the son of God and the king of the Jews, which he is. They knew this. They knew these claims. They knew these things. They knew that Jesus forgave people as if he had the authority to do so. They knew that Jesus had promised that after his death he would rise from the dead. They knew that the day of the resurrection would be Sunday. They knew that people within their own ranks were beginning to soften their stance toward Jesus. They knew that if people continued to act the way they had on Palm Sunday the week before, crying out Hosanna and calling Jesus the son of David, basically calling him their king, that their prominence, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, their prominence as leaders amongst the people and their tepid relationship with Rome would be further dismantled. And they also knew, courtesy of the Roman soldiers, that Jesus' body was no longer in the grave. And that there was no explanation for it outside of something miraculous. You don't pay people to lie if you're not telling them to lie. You understand that? They understood what they were doing. The only other explanation they could have given would have been to say that Jesus came out of the grave by the power of Satan. That's really the only other thing they could have done. And they tried that once, didn't they? That didn't go very well for them. And they didn't try it again. Now, how did the Jewish leaders respond to all of this knowledge? They had all of that information. Did they repent? And the answer is no. No, they started a lie. They rejected Jesus. Uh, They paid a bunch of money to spread the lie. They did not repent. They would not worship Jesus as their Messiah. Why? Why didn't these Jewish leaders repent? Why didn't they acknowledge that Jesus was, in fact, their Messiah? That they were, in fact, sinners and that they did need what God had promised to them in Isaiah 53? And the answer? They didn't want to. They didn't want to be considered sinners. They didn't want to be humbled They didn't want to give up their life. They didn't want to lose to Jesus from Nazareth. They didn't want to be wrong. They didn't want to need to be saved. Now, how about the Roman soldiers? What about them? What did they know? Well, we can assume they knew about the God of Israel. They knew enough to say that this was the Son of God. What we don't know is is how they viewed God in the mix of all of the gods that they had known and worshipped. 
been familiar from, from all the other parts of the Roman Empire or from their own Roman system of worship and their own religious beliefs. They knew a bunch of unnatural things had happened in the last three days. That's for sure. They knew who had requested them to do this work, the Jewish leaders. They knew that they had been, they knew what they had been assigned to do to keep those disciples away from the grave. And they knew that they'd never seen a single disciple. They did see a bunch of people rising from the dead, though, and coming out of their graves. And then they saw a really shiny, powerful person who showed up out of nowhere, and an earthquake started, and they were terrified into passing out. They knew that. Or at least they woke up later and assumed that that had been what happened after that shiny person came down. And they knew the body of Jesus was gone, though the shroud remained. They knew they'd better tell the Jewish leaders first, because this was a problem. And how about the Roman soldiers' response to all of this? Did they repent? Did they realize that the God of Israel was the true God and that Jesus Christ was their Savior? And it seems like the answer to that should be no. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, They were willing, right, to acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of the God of Israel. They were willing, at the least, to add Jesus to the pantheon of gods. What a cool story they had to tell, right? Right up there with Hercules and all those other cool stories that they'd heard. But did they repent? It doesn't seem like it. What did they do? Well, they accepted money. They accepted a bribe. They took wealth. Why? Well, much like the Jewish leaders, that's what they wanted. They didn't want to become followers of Jesus. They didn't want to stop being Roman soldiers. They didn't, they didn't want to change their life. But they were willing to see their livelihood enhanced by the money that they were going to be given. And so they lied. They denied the miracles they'd seen. And they promised to keep the message from spreading. They were going to try to shut it down. Now, what about the women? How about the Marys? What did they know? They knew that Jesus had performed miracles. They knew of Jesus' teachings. They knew of Jesus' mission to preach the news of the coming kingdom. They knew that Jesus spoke to sinners, that he reached out to sinners like them. They knew that Jesus had changed their lives. They knew that Jesus had told them that he was going to die. And they were told that he would rise again. But they just weren't sure what to think about that, were they? And they knew they were sad that Jesus had died. But they should do something, and and even if that something was just properly preparing the dead body for burial after the Sabbath, after the Passover was done, that's what they came to do. And then, they knew they'd seen and heard from an angel. And they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead and were running to tell the disciples. And then they knew the most glorious thing. They knew they'd seen Jesus. And they knew right then the only right thing to do. And what did they do? They bowed down and worshipped. They fell at his feet and they worshipped him. And then they obeyed him. He was their Lord after all. These women worshipped and they obeyed. Now listen. Every one of the people in this account had enough evidence to believe and repent. The Jewish leaders rejected Christ and lied, and they paid liars to hide 
the truth. The Roman soldiers accepted a financial bribe and lied. They rejected Jesus and hid the truth. And the Marys, they believed. They believed and worshipped and obeyed their Savior, their Master, their Lord, their God. Now, what have we done with this truth? What have you done with this truth? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You can hear this truth and, and already know and have decided that you want to reject it. That's what the Pharisees did. Uh, maybe because of pride, maybe because of family, maybe because of your history, maybe because of, of status or fear. Uh, regardless of why, perhaps you're here today and you've already decided you don't want to be saved. Or that you don't want to have Jesus be your Lord and Master. Perhaps, perhaps you're more like the Roman soldiers. You hear about Jesus and his miracles and teaching, his death, his resurrection. You think it's amazing. That's so cool. But if you're being honest, you're more amazed by what you can get from other people. Or from this life like money or affection or respect. And because you've been chasing after those shiny objects that are always moving around as culture changes and as your friends come and go, you've never actually repented. You believe that there is Jesus. You believe that he died on the cross. But he's not your savior. To anyone here today who falls into either of these categories... Thank you for being here. Thanks for coming to church today. Thanks for being here with your friends and family and spending this special day together. We're thrilled and honored that you came. And the most loving thing I can do in response is invite you to repent, to turn to Jesus, to worship him, to obey him, become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when Peter finally figured out, the Apostle Peter, when he finally figured out that Jesus was the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, Jesus told him that he was truly blessed because flesh and blood, man, Peter, us, we, we can't figure these things out on our own. All of us want to reject God, so it's not like a weird thing. All of us want to reject God and go our own way. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. To pay the penalty of our sin. And he did. And he was buried. And he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And if you have repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, if he's your Lord, you are saved. You're saved. It's done. It is finished. And, and if you haven't, then you know you should. Praise God. Praise God. Pray to him right now while I'm praying. He'll hear us both, I promise. Okay, he's God. He hears everything. It doesn't give him a headache. And ask him to forgive you and save you and be your Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this great promise. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
on the cross in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve for our own sin on himself so that we can be saved. We thank you, Lord, that the righteousness that Christ lived, his perfection, through his sacrifice and through your grace is put to our account so that when we would stand before you in judgment, you would declare us not guilty. You would declare us innocent and righteous and that you make us your children in that. That we are joint heirs with Christ. God, thank you for your grace. And I pray for all those here today who know this to be true, who have put our faith and trust in you, God. May we be just encouraged and filled with joy as these women were when they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. Knowing these things to be true. And God, I pray for any, anyone who would be here today who does not yet know you as Savior. God, please work in their heart. Bring them to saving faith. Give them the joy that we have. That your name may be glorified by another. That their lips would praise your name. God, thank you. We believe. We thank you for the resurrection. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.